This podcast is presented by Tommy Hilfiger, a PVH brand and an official partner of the New York Giants. It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. Every year we do our beat reporter mock draft. We go to our favorite beat reporters that cover the teams around the league. We get their picks and see who might be on the board for the Giants when they select. We're keeping it simple this year. We're just going to pick number seven since the Giants have two picks in the first seven selections of the NFL draft joining us first the man who covers the Jacksonville Jaguars for ESPN Mike DeRocco Mike you got John Schmelk here in East Rutherford man thanks for being with us again how are you I'm doing well. How about you? We're doing fantastic. And folks, as a reminder, before we get Mike's pick, you can find the Giants Little Podcast on your favorite podcast platforms on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast. And for more draft coverage, make sure you subscribe to the Draft Season Podcast, which you can find on its own podcast feed and, of course, on those Giants platforms as well. All right, Mike, Giant, uh, the Jaguars, rather, selecting at first overall, a place I'm sure they'd rather not be. Uh, another reset for the organization. Uh, I guess we can kind of start here. Is it just like a huge breath of fresh air, like in that building and around the facility, you know, moving on from Urban Meyer uh, to their new coaching staff this year with Doug Peterson? Yeah, without question. You know, I speak to people, you know, inside that building all the time, and I ask a bunch of them, hey, if let's just assume last year the atmosphere um, in that building was a two with Urban Meyer. What is it now with Doug Peterson? And, you know, without a doubt, people are, or without uh, fail, people are saying, you know, it's a nine or a 10. Uh, everybody seems to be happy uh, inside the building, which is certainly a huge change. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. And obviously the, the most important person in that building, Mike, is Trevor Lawrence. Given everything that was going on around that young man last year, how would you evaluate his rookie season? Well, if you look at if you look at the numbers on the field, you would sit there and go, Ugh, "That wasn't really good." But when you consider everything that he had to deal with off the field, and and there's so much stuff that that's gotten out, but that, you know that's probably just the tip of the iceberg about how bad things were. And, and you know, here's a kid that you just drop into that, and he plays quarterback, and he's the savior of your franchise, and he's got to deal with all that. And, and look, he he was the guy that that answered questions every single week. I mean, he was the guy that was unfortunately put out there to, to to face the media and the music about this team every week because Urban Meyer would sit there and go, well, you got to ask this assistant coach or you got to ask that guy or I'm sorry for what I did in the bar. And it was just, <laughs> it was just awful. I mean, he had to, Trevor had to carry that franchise. And when you consider everything that he had to deal with, that kind of paints those, offensive stats in a little bit of a different light to be honest with you I give the kid an A plus just because you know he survived it as a rookie in the NFL not having any experience with this at all and he became the team leader he became the team spokesman and he handled that situation as well as a guy that's been in this league 10-12 years so when you add it all together I probably would give that kid an A for for what he dealt with last year. Now, how much of what the Jaguars are going to do going forward then is putting Trevor Lawrence in the best situation possible, and obviously this could affect what they do in the draft, uh, to give him the best chance to succeed? Because, Mike, as you well know, they could do a great job of roster building. If they don't, if Trevor Lawrence doesn't succeed, nothing else really matters here, right? Right, yeah, without question. Uh, well, look, just look what they did in free agency, and you get a kind of an idea about that. They added Brandon Sheriff to 
left guard, excuse me, the right guard, the all-pro right guard, they added Christian Kirk, they added Zay Jones, and they added Evan Ingram, which is a signing that people don't really talk about, but probably is going to end up being a huge, uh, significant upgrade for them. So it's all about Trevor at this point um, going forward. Every every decision, and that doesn't mean every single decision you make or every um, player you bring in is an offensive guy and is a receiver or a skill guy or, or what have you, but you know, you've got to make your franchise around your franchise quarterback. And that's what I guess the Jags are starting to do at this point. They should have done that last year, but really didn't get that going for obvious reasons. But everything has to be, how can we help Trevor? How do we help Trevor develop? How do we help Trevor reach his potential? That has to be the way they approach everything they do, as long as they have Trevor Lawrence in the fold. So what would you evaluate then as the Jaguars' biggest needs? Obviously, a team that's picking first overall. They have a lot of them on both sides of the ball. So <laughs> right. what would you evaluate what, now that free agency's done? Where do they need the most help heading into the draft? Uh, to me, it's pass rush. Uh, they have Josh Allen on the edge, and you know he had his best year uh, as a rookie. Ten and a half sacks made the Pro Bowl as an alternate. But he had Calais Campbell and he had Unique Ngakwe on the field with him. And once those guys left, um, you know, he's just not been the same guy. He's he's a good player and a solid, decent pass rusher, but he needs help. And you're playing in the AFC, and we, we, we know what's going on in the AFC West, but you also have Joe Burrow, you have Lamar Jackson, you have uh, Josh Allen that you have to deal with, you have Mac Jones. Uh, you know, you've got to be able to get after the quarterback. That's their number one need. And, and then after that, I probably would go with, um, you know, linebacker. They've got to add some depth at linebacker there as well. They still probably need an interior offensive lineman to, to find, you know, fill out the, the, that group there. And then after that, I still would say, you know, maybe uh, another corner and another wide receiver, to be honest with you, and an outside guy that can really run. So that's kind of where I would – rank their needs at this point all right we are recording this mike nine days before the draft there you know i i don't know the last time we've had this much uncertainty over who the number one pick is this close to the draft i feel like it's been a while maybe the baker mayfield pick so give me your best prediction or guess however you want to phrase it nine days out who did the jaguars take with the first overall pick in the draft yeah, there, there is a lot of uncertainty, and, and you know, if, if you look at all the mock drafts that are coming out now, they're certainly markedly different from one to another and from what they were maybe a month ago. But, you know, I, I think the Jaguars go Aiden Hutchinson. He's a, 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 he fills one of their major, major needs. Uh, he's a guy that has proven um, production at, at a big-time elite level, and, he, you know, he's, he's a culture-building guy. You can build the – your defensive culture around this guy. I just think it's, you know, there's, there's some talk about Trayvon Walker who had a massive combine, but man, Hutchinson is such a safer pick. I think, you know what you're going to get. You just plug him in there and he's 10 years in the league and, and you know, he's, you know, a double digit sack guy. That that's what you need. You've got to get after those quarterbacks. And I think the Jaguars make the safe pick and go with Hutchinson and, you know, then they address those other needs starting in the second round. You mentioned Trayvon Walker as the possibility. He's the hot name right now. Would anyone else you think realistically and seriously be in the mix besides those two guys? I do think Evan Neal's a guy that, that should be under consideration, the Jaguars have under consideration. I, I know 
you know, they talk about they want to work out a long-term deal with uh, Cam Robinson at left tackle, but so far that hasn't materialized. You can take Evan Neal and you play him for a year at left guard, just the way the uh, Ravens did with Jonathan Ogden, and then next year you're not bringing Cam Robinson back, obviously, and then you plug him out at left tackle and he's your left tackle for 10 to 12 years. So I think those three guys, Hutchinson, Walker, and Neal, are, are under consideration, and if, if the pick isn't one of those three, I'd be really surprised. But I think the Jaguars do the safe and smart thing and take Hutchinson. And Mike, by the way, before we say goodbye, you will love Evan Ingram. Uh, that kid, he is such a nice guy and just great to talk to. He got put in a bad situation here. Uh, he, you know, a lot of different coordinators, quarterbacks. You know, the fans gave him a really hard time. But I know everyone in this building, from the coaches to his teammates to his players, they all loved him. Everyone did. And you will have a great time covering him. He is really a really good kid. Well, and that's good to hear. I mean, we, we got him, obviously, at a press conference setting after the signing, and, and some of that kind of came through. He was pretty um, interesting to talk to, good to deal with, and had some really good insight. And, you know, I'm looking forward to be, media being able to get back into the locker room and yes. talk to these guys one-on-one. So that's going to be fantastic. And, and Neil is definitely one of those guys that I uh, – or excuse me, Ingram is definitely one of those guys that I want to get – uh, to know a little better. Yeah, you'll definitely like him, and I can't wait to get back in that locker room as well. Good stuff, Mike. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Anything you want to put out there where the uh, where the folks can find you, anything you have uh, on your plate right now? Yeah, you know, you can find me on Twitter at E-S-P-N-D-I-R-O-C-C-O. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, I'll look like a genius when they make that Hutchinson pick. That's, uh, that's basically uh, what I'm hoping for at this point. Hey, look, Mike, I know you guys have the first pick in everything. The AFC South, as much as any other division, is wide open this year. So maybe you guys can make a little noise if, if you know, Lawrence takes a big leap and some of these other young guys play well. Who knows? Best of luck this year, man. Have fun. Appreciate it. That's Mike DiRocco again. He covers the... Jacksonville Jaguars for ESPN. And now we welcome in our next guest. Now, the fun part of this mock draft today, folks, is that we are doing all these picks back to back to back. So I'm going to bring the next guest on, and they're not going to know who the picks are. So we're going to get live reactions just like GMs in a row room, which is great. So let's go to pick number two. He is Jeff Risden. You've heard him on our programming. I think this is the third time this draft season. He's from Real GM, also covers the Lions for Lions Wire. Jeff, it's good to talk to you again, man. How are you? Uh, very good to be with you. I'm very curious as to how this board is playing out, even though I'm picking a second here, because I don't know. <laughs> yes, it, and, and it shows you, by the way, and I, and I said this to Mike when I called him, this is probably as much uncertainty, and we're recording this nine days before the draft, that we've had with that first overall pick probably since Baker Mayfield, right? And we kind of had figured that out, you know, maybe three or four days prior. So who do you think the Jaguars pick? Let, let's have some fun with that. Uh, I think they, I think they took Trayvon Walker, but I don't know that. Uh, and you know, it's 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 still very much up in the air. Like I, I was talking to people yesterday, this is such a fun draft. I'm enjoying the fact that I don't know who's going at one, two, three, four, five. I kind of like it that way. It, it's it's a little bit more fun. I like I like the suspense. It keeps me engaged. Yes, and Jeff, they did not make it that easy for you. Uh, they selected Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan. So <laughs> the easy oh, that's who I wanted. I know it was the the easy run up the card scenario for the hometown boy in Detroit uh, is not going to work out. So Hutchinson is off the board. The lines are up here at number two. Let's start here. Um, this is the year two of the Dan Campbell regime. Is this still build slowly since the team doesn't have their franchise quarterback? Is a big jump expected this year? Where are they in their stage of their building process? 
they are looking to get better. They are looking to make it work around Jared Goff. Uh, that I, I know a lot of people roll their eyes when they hear that. This regime really likes Jared Goff, and they think that it can work long term. Now, would would they be opposed to taking a quarterback later that maybe could challenge him? Probably not, but it ain't happening at two. Their, their goal is to build a team that can rise up out of the cellar of the NFC North. Uh, and with the way that things have gone in Chicago, that that's not an unrealistic expectation this year. Uh, it, it's you got to get playmakers though. This team is devoid of playmakers on both sides of the football. So at number two, you got to get somebody who can come in right away and make a positive impact at a position, uh, at an important position, whether that's pass rush or defensive back or wide receiver. Um, they're good on the offensive line. That everywhere else pretty much needs some help. So that, that that's sort of where they're at. Yeah, you, you kind of touched on there very quickly. Can you dig a little bit deeper into what the biggest needs are for Detroit here? Yeah, so the biggest needs, they have to get a playmaker in the back end of the defense. And it's more likely to come at safety than it is at corner. They're decent at corner. They've got a lot of young players that have showed some promise there. Safety right now is Tracy Walker. Um, Deshaun Elliott, who they signed last week on a one-year deal, who's missed more games than he's played. Um, and and that's it. Like that That's literally their safety room. And this is a defense that wants to run three safeties as a base defense some of the time. So they got to get somebody in there. So Kyle Hamilton is absolutely in play here. Pass rush. Romeo Okwara, his little brother Julian, are one side. They Romeo was great in 2020. Got got ten and a half sacks, with, devoid of any schematic help. Last year's uh, reclamation project, Charles Harris, is on the other side. They got to get somebody who's better than those guys. And no offense to either of those guys. Like, both those guys can play. But they got to get the guy who can get you 12 and a half or more sacks year in, year out, and not be an, a, a liability against the run on the way there, too. They, they, so that's, well, that's Trayvon Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, Jermaine Johnson enters the picture here. Um, the, the, those are all the guys. That's, that's probably about the only place we're considering. Like wide receiver, they, they need help. Um, that, that's coming 32, 34, or 66 when they pick later on. <laughs> you're, not, you're not taking a wide receiver, too, in this draft. You know, Jeff, and I think that's actually an interesting question to ask you then. Since they're picking at 32 and 34, they have the pick from the Rams, from the Goff trade, the 32nd overall pick. Of course, I'm sure Lion fans are sitting there. Of course, this is the year the Rams win the Super Bowl, the year we have their first-round pick. But um, how much do they calculate? All right, where's the depth in this draft? What can we get at 32 and 34? Will that impact what they do at two? Or when you're picking that high, are they just thinking, all right, we're going to pick the guy we think is going to be the best player, period? No, it's a very good question, and I do think it impacts him, and I think it rules out Kyle Hamilton at two because this is a phenomenal safety class. So you can get me Lewis Sling, Dax and Hill, Jalen Petre, a guy like that at 32 or 34. Is is there that big of a drop-off from Hamilton? Um, look, Hamilton's the best player on my board. I think he's the number one player in this draft for me. But the drop off from from those from him to those guys is not as radical as what it is from getting your top pass rusher here to getting a guy like like Boye Mafe or or George Karloftis or somebody like that down in that range. So uh, I'm looking pass rusher, and I think that's their mindset too. I, I think they're going to go with pass rush, and I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I'm not sure that they know who they're taking it to yet. So um, th- this will just be my best educated guess on what we know. Uh, they've met with all those guys. Uh, they-, they worked out Trayvon Walker at, at his pro day. In fact, uh, Kelvin Shepard is the, the uh, Lions linebackers coach. He actually put Walker through the drills at linebacker, and this is going to sound crazy. 
he was faster in those drills than Nicobe Dean was. That that's what kind of athlete you're looking at in Trayvon Walker. Oh so that gosh. that's why people are intrigued in him. Uh, yeah, and, and he does that at uh, uh, Dean is five five eleven, roughly two twenty. Uh, Walker is what six six five two seventy five. Um, that that tells you what kind of a special athlete you're looking at, and that's that's one of the reasons why he's in primary consideration. But look, they spent a lot of time on Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, the general manager, Brad Holmes, saw him play in person uh, last fall. It was the only college football game that he went to. He's been out there. They sent seven people to his pro day. They're clearly interested. Does that mean that they like him? Who knows? I kind of think they do, though. Um, look, there's a lot of smoke out there that they don't actually like him, that Dan Campbell in specific uh, is opposed to him. I can't verify those. Um, they've been out there, and it's not just the Lions that have that. He, he's a peculiar dude. He's not going to be for everybody. Um, they have to weigh whether he, his upside is that much better than a guy like like Jermaine Johnson or Trayvon Walker. Johnson, I don't think, gets enough run. He's a very legitimate consideration at two. With how he rushed the passer, the, the Lions coached him in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. They loved him. He was phenomenal down there. He was as impactful of a defensive player as I've seen in Mobile in, in the 14 years that I've gone down there. He was that good. Uh, so, so he's certainly a consideration here, too. Interesting. All right, so you talked about uh, Thibodeau in depth. And by the way, Kelvin Shepard was up here with the Giants for one year. Great guy. Awesome, awesome dude. I'm, I'm, I'm happy awesome. he picked that, up that, that. I'll tell you right now, that guy is going to be either a defensive coordinator or running a college program yep. very soon. No, absolutely. Really smart guy, too. Awesome. Just great dude. 100% agree. So what's the calculation there? You already talked about Thibodeau. How about Walker, who we know doesn't have the production but has all the traits and played really well at Georgia, just didn't have the sack production, right? And then they got like Johnson, who's the opposite, right? He leaves Georgia to get that sack production. I agree. You know, honestly, if I'm asking for one guy on one play to line up one-on-one on on the edge and and get a sack, he might be the guy picking in this draft. I think that's a legitimate conversation. So what's the calculation here, Jeff, for the front office when you're talking about Walker and Johnson? You know, I, I think one of the things that you're looking at is that this is a regime that cannot afford to miss here. Uh, and and as, as much as they talk about, you know, Thibodeau's upside, there's considerable downside with him. He, he has prolonged stretches on tape, and, and this leads to people asking, you know, well, let's question his effort. Is he really trying all that hard? Well, if he's not trying all – if he is trying all that hard, like there, there's, there's long stretches in games where he's just not doing anything. He's like, you know, the meme with the stick, you know, Pope, do something, dude. Um, I, I don't think that they're, I think that's going to scare them, quite frankly, more than, than Trayvon Walker's lack of production at Georgia scares them. Uh, and Johnson, look, for, for all the hubbub, he's a one year wonder. He yep. did not do great at Georgia. He, he did, he did good things there in a limited role, but, uh, and also he, he, he bounced around a little bit. This is a team that, for, for look, uh, not, not to disparage Jermaine Johnson at all, he was an academic non qualifier coming out of school. That goes against the grain for what this regime in particular looks for. This is a team that values academics and off-field accomplishments very highly. He just doesn't have that. So that that's why, you know, I, I think in, in all the calculus there, the signs do point to Walker. And you already mentioned they have a good offensive line, so tackle's probably off the board. You don't think there's any chance at a corner here either? you, you got to at least mention the, the concept of Sauce Gardner. But this is a team that took Jeff Okuda two years ago at number three overall. Look, 
Okuda has been hurt, but even before he was hurt, he wasn't living up to that billing. Um, look, he's got he's got a big target on him. The other thing, the best corner on this team last year was an undrafted rookie free agent named Jerry Jacobs. Jerry can play. That guy's really good. I think they like the ability to develop the young talent. Amani Orawari on the other side, six interceptions last year, best tackler in the open field most of the time on the defense. They're happy with what they got there. They have they got Ifiatu Milifonu from last year. They have a good core of young talent. If, if Okuda is healthy and back, they actually could be pretty good at the corner. So I, I don't think that they're going to take sauce, but it, it, they have to have that conversation too because he is special. He is different. He is Sauce Island, uh, and that that's like who doesn't need an island corner? You know? <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. All right, Jeff, you're up at number two. Eight hundred isn't off the board. Who are the Lions selecting with the second overall pick in the draft? I'm going to go with Trayvon Walker, the defensive end from Georgia. All right, give me your summary why. I, I, I think he, his blend of high floor and incredibly high traits, um, it trumps the production that, that he had. Uh, I, I think the, uh, the Lions feel pretty good about the defensive line that they've got around him. They've got a, guy, a veteran in Michael Brockers who can help mentor him. Um, who's been around greatness before in, in Aaron Donald when he was out in uh, in Los Angeles with the Rams? I, I think he fits in. They don't need him to get like be the the, the initial flanter. Like Charles Harris is back, Aquara is back. Like they can work him in as part of a rotation that he's comfortable with. He's proven that he can do that. He can play anywhere on the line. I think that's a big thing. This is a team that's going to go with a three man front at times, a four man front most of the time. Look, he can play outside. He can he can kick inside. The athletic potential, again, this is a guy, his physical comparisons are Miles Garrett and J.J. Watt. Put those two hands together, you got yourself an incredible potential player, and I think they like their coaching staff's ability to develop that talent. So uh, I, I think they're going to go with Trayvon Walker here. And if Hutchinson's there, he's the pick? Uh, I, I wouldn't say absolutely, but absolutely. <laughs> Jeff, always good talking to you, my friend. I appreciate it. Enjoy the draft, and and we'll see exactly what happens. It should be an exciting couple days. Awesome. Thanks so much. That's Jeff Risden. He covers the Lions for Lions Wire and, of course, the draft in whole for Real GM. Now we move on to our third pick of the draft, a new member of our Giants podcast family. Had a chance to spend some time uh, with him down in Indianapolis at the Combine. He is John Harris. He covers... The Houston Texans. John, it's good to talk to you, man, and uh, tell the folks where they can find your stuff and what you're up to. Yeah, I'm the sideline reporter for the Texans, and I'm in the building every single day, so I've seen the guys coming in uh, for the offseason program, which has been kind of nice, and uh, I get to hang with uh, Lovey Smith, who is maybe the coolest cat on the face of the earth. Really happy for him uh, as he's the new head coach of the Houston Texans. And so hopefully we can take this big tanker and start moving it back in the – in the right direction after a couple of years of just some really uh, just tough stuff that happened here in the building uh, and with a quarterback who is no longer here. Yeah, and it's funny. We spent a lot of time off air down in in, in Indy, you know, talking about how the Deshaun Watson thing would finally wrap up. I got to imagine they're pretty happy with the return they got given everything that was swirling around the quarterback, John. Yeah, John, I I felt the same, and it really was – Nick Casario, who drove that and said the way that he handled all of that in that situation was so much more complicated because of Deshaun's no trade clause. And the way that Nick handled it, I thought, was, was brilliant. He said, look, you've got to have uh, you know, the American Idol golden ticket to get to Hollywood, so to speak. And if you've got that, then 
we'll let you talk to Deshaun. He handled it brilliantly. He got the three first-round picks, but he ended up getting a, a, a third and a fourth as well. And for everything that was swirling around Deshaun, I think to be able to bring that draft capital back to Houston some, you know, over the next three years, I think was just huge. So, And then, of course, on top of the fact that Deshaun takes all that ample baggage he had legally, and that all moves up to Cleveland. And in the press conference the day after the trade, I think it was the first sentence that Nick Casario said. He, he just was asked about it, and he said, you know what, we all have clarity now. And that's what we, we were looking for. It. Last year at this time, it was so murky. I mean, we couldn't see two feet in front of our face down in the ocean. But now we're swimming around in blue waters. We know where we want to go. We've got some ample trade and or draft assets to maybe trade down, maybe get more uh, to build this thing back up where we had it. Uh, but now there's clarity, and I think that's a that's a good thing going into this draft in 2022. All right, so John, I, I think this is a good place to start, and and we're going to talk about needs. But I will tell you who the first two picks were, so you can spend the next couple minutes to think about who you want to select okay. as we discuss the team. So Aiden Hutchinson went first overall. Trayvon Walker went second overall. So those are the two guys that will not be there for the Texans. I'm not. I'm sure you're probably not that surprised by the fact those are the first two guys yeah. that went. Maybe the order. But those are the two guys that are gone. So now let's talk team needs. You mentioned it. Clarity. Clean slate. To me, the Texans are the ultimate wild card here. They have so many needs. They can go in so, so many directions. Well, how would you quantify and qualify their biggest needs heading into the 2022 draft? I think, John, to think about their needs, uh, especially at picks number three, and then they also have 13 as well, to look at their needs, I mean, I've seen a number of websites that are like everything, and it's not totally wrong, but in the first (laughs) round, I think there are positions they won't draft, as crazy as it sounds. Quarterback, running back, tight end. Anything else, I think, is sort of fair game. Now, the other thing I don't think they will draft is a true offensive tackle. Now, I say that because two of the best offensive linemen on the board, Evan Neal and Ike Kwanu, can both play guard. But a guy that I really love is Charles Cross from Mississippi State. He can't play guard. He is a pure tackle. I don't think the Texans will be looking at him given what they've got up front. Laramie Tunsil, uh, they had discussions in the offseason. There was talk about a trade. They sat down and said, no, we're, look, we're good. We like the marriage. We're staying. More than likely, that moves the only first-round pick that we have in the last how many ever years, Titus Howard, probably out back to right tackle. So I think our tackle situation is okay. But it doesn't preclude us from looking at an offensive lineman at number three, as long as that guy can play guard, because you never know how things are going to turn out in the next couple of years at tackle, sure. and you've got a guy in-house if you need to. Everything defensively is open in a free game. Everything. D-line, edge, linebacker, safety, corner. Everything on the defensive side is free game. So what's not quarterback, running back, tight end, they won't be part of this first round at all. Anything else to me is free game for this team. They need elite players at every position, really. Um, Minus tackle, maybe, because they've got a guy like Tunsil there. Uh, minus wide receiver because they've got a little bit of depth and they brought Brandon Cooks back. Everything else, John, <laughs> pick a card and let's go. Okay, so then what's weighing on the scales here? Is it Lovey Smith being a defensive coach? Is it finding 
a player at a premium position because those are obviously very expensive to find in free agency. What's going to weigh the scales then in terms of how you decide what direction to go here at three? Well, I think for this team, because it does have a number of needs, I think you can look at a what's the, the phrase, best player available at a position of need. Well, I think all of them are positions of need. I think the biggest thing is just finding guys that that fit the athletic mindset that have elite traits. I think the two offensive linemen, Neil and Aquano, have it. I think you could argue that Kayvon Thibodeau has it. I don't know if Kayvon's the best fit, but the more that I've thought about Kayvon, I think, you know, okay, maybe I could see that happening. Stingley and Sauce Gardner, they've got traits. Um, they play corner. I don't know that corner has ever been prioritized for Lovey Smith. Um, and then the Lovey Smith-Nick Casario connection is really interesting because they spent the last year where Nick comes from a 3-4 odd front, Lovey comes from a four-man front, even front sort of thing, and you'd think polar opposites. And yet they, they kind of came to ground talking about defense last year. I think they want to have versatile dudes on the defense. So a guy like Trayvon Walker would have made a lot of sense because they can bump him inside-outside. But it's going to be a four-man surface. And that edge player has got to be a guy that holds up well against the run and gets to the quarterback with some twitch. I think Kayvon does it, but maybe not as well as they would want it at three. I think they've got to improve the physicality on this team. And so the guy that I'm thinking about taking, I think we'll do that. All right. Well, you did not mention safety at all here, John. Kyle Hamilton is somebody that, you know, people do have high on their boards. Do you, would he be a consideration here for Houston at number three? He is number one, John, on my Harris 100. I love Kyle Hamilton. Now, I'm, I'm a little biased. I did play safety. But it's 6'4", <laughs> 221. And I know, I know people panic about the 40 time and all that kind of stuff. I, I thought that's, that's overblown when you watch the guy yeah. play in the field. Totally you agree. You see what he does. Yep. Kyle Hamilton is absolutely in play. And I feel like if I – what I'd ultimately like to do, you said, John, what would, what would I like to do? Trade down. Now, if I find a, par, a trade down partner – I am trading down as long as I can stay within the top 10 to 12. I would trade down because we just have a lot of needs. We need a lot more players, second, third rounders, those type things. So if I could trade down, that would be the, the ultimate thing. I, In my mock, I traded down with Atlanta, and I moved to number eight, and I took Kyle Hamilton. I think Hamilton's probably seven to ten in that range. So if I trade down in that range, I think Kyle probably makes a little bit more sense. But I feel like with the 31st, and 32nd ranked run game the last couple of years, there's a pretty clear spot of where I want to go with this. Interesting. All right, my final question before you make your pick here, John, how does also picking at 13 impact your thought process here? Does that kind of cancel out the wide receiver because you could get one at 13, would you want, or maybe a different spot? You're saying, all right, well, 13, I can still get a good player at that position, so maybe I'm not going to consider them at three. I think the edge spot is interesting to me. I know two of them that, well, Hutchinson's a true edge. I think Trayvon Walker is, is a guy that bounces inside-outside. Agree. So I don't want to call him a true edge. But I think there are some true edges that you can get within the top 13 picks. I think Saucer, Stingley, one of them could potentially fall. If they don't, then maybe Hamilton falls. I think you're going to end up at 13 looking at a player that could have gone at number three, that you thought about at number three, and you're going, wait, wait a second, Jermaine Johnson's still here? <laughs> I want to have guys – that are going to impact up front and are going to impact the, the edges. And I want to bring some physicality back to this team. 
watching this run game the last few years has just been god awful. Uh, I mean, just brutal. Uh, and it's and it, so the running back is needed too, but the running back is going to have to come either at pick thirty-seven or sixty-eight or eighty in the second, third round of day two. I think you find a running back all the way through priority free agent and find somebody in the draft. It's a very deep draft in running back. It's just not. It doesn't have a, a you know, it doesn't have a number one clear cut guy that would go in the first round. But it's got a lot of really interesting, versatile pieces, and one that I think could help the Texans, and they'll find a running back. But up front, I think there are some elite, a lot the elite offensive linemen that would be elite in any year of the draft. And that's where I'm going to go with this. Yeah, you've teased it. I think I know where you're going here, John. Make your pick. Hutchinson one, Walker two. You're up with the Houston Texans at the third overall spot. I had this conversation with James Lipford, director of scouting of the Texans, and he asked me if I had seen Icky Aquanu from NC State and studied him. And I looked at him and said, have I seen him? And I got the same look back from him. I don't know if that was telling a year out. But I know I love watching Ike Aquano. I love the way he plays. I think he would be a fantastic guard until there's changes at tackle and then he can bump back out to tackle. At number three, I'm going to take Ike Aquano from NC State. John, good stuff. Enjoy the season. Thank you so much for joining us on this year's Giants Auto Mock Draft. You got it, John. Thank you very much for having me. We thank John Harris, sideline reporter for the Houston Texans, for joining us. We have our first three picks in the bag, and now we go to pick number four. We just go a few miles west down to Florham Park with the New York Jets, Rich Samini, who covers them for ESPN. Rich, you got John Schmelk here in East Rutherford. Hope you're doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing great. It's draft season. It's uh, what, What's better than that for the Jets and Giants? Yes, sadly, the regular season has not gone so well. So, yes, draft season has been the star of the show for the past few years, Rich. No doubt about it. All right. It's Super Bowl week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. And we are recording this about nine days prior to the draft. So, Rich, the first three picks off the board, the Jacksonville Jaguars selected Aiden Hutchinson. The Detroit Lions, with Jeff Risden, selected Trayvon Walker. The Houston Texans, after saying they basically could pick anyone in any position, Selected Iki Aquanu out of NC State. So you're up with the Jets at number four. And much like the Giants here, Rich, you guys have two picks very high in this draft. How essential is it for the Jets to nail these picks to finally, you know, under this regime with, you know, Joe Douglas and, and Robert Sala to start making some progress here? Yeah, absolutely. I think this has to be the watershed draft for the Jets because if you look at, you know, they do have five picks out of the first 69 and four of the first 38. And the reason they got those picks is they traded off assets such as Sam Darnold and Jamal Adams. You know, they traded off players like that, you know, to build for the future. And so the future is now for Joe Douglas. I mean, there's no more excuses. You know, the team was 4-13 and last year. I think we all expected that kind of year, but the honeymoon's over. And, with uh, you know, if they nail this draft, there's no reason not to with that many picks. You know, they should take a, a huge step up this year. I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team. I think it's too soon for that. But, uh, you know, they should be hovering around the 500 mark this year. And you're absolutely right. This is actually the first time in, in the common draft era that the Jets have two top 10 picks. So, let's, you know, they should hit two home runs, but we'll see. So, I imagine there's a bit of a push and pull here, Rich, right? Because you want to give the quarterback, Zach Wilson, as many weapons as you can to succeed and put him in the best possible situation. Because as you well know, everything else can go right. If the quarterback busts, 
none of the other stuff really matters. That that's how important the quarterback in the league is now. It's kind of the same thing with the Giants with with Daniel Jones and trying to find their franchise guy. But at the same time, the Jets defense last year was quite frankly pretty awful, and they have a defensive minded head coach. So what's the push and pull here in terms of trying to help the quarterback, but also trying to make the defense something you can actually win with? Yeah, I think push and pull is a great way to describe it. Now at the uh, at the uh owners meetings a few weeks ago in, in Palm Beach, uh, they were joking about Salah and Douglas were joking that maybe they'll have a bare-knuckle fight to see what happens, because we know Joe, Joe Douglas likes to draft offensive linemen. He was a former offensive lineman, and so that's why I think if, if Icky Aquanu were available for the Jets at four, I think he would be a strong consideration. Robert Salah is a defensive guy, and their defense stunk last year. I mean, let's be honest, I mean, they finished 32nd in so many categories. They were non-competitive some games and so they have some severe needs on defense starting with edge rusher and I think Robert Sala uh, I mean he needs edge rushers as much as he needs oxygen you know that's, <laughs> that's, his defense is predicated on, on getting to the passer in that 4-3 front so I, I think there could be a push and pull uh, do they go with uh, an offensive player to help Zach Wilson or do they just try to help that defense which just is has so many holes in it all right, so let's attack the offensive side of this first then. Makai Becton is someone that they drafted a couple years ago. He has not hit as well as they would have liked. They have veteran offensive tackles. George Fant's out there too, right? So what is the calculation that you mentioned if Aquanu's there? Evan Neal's a guy that's also played both tackle spots. He's played guard too. Would he be in the mix there? How do they view just that kind of crew they have on the offensive line in front of Wilson? Yeah, it's definitely a better offensive line than what they had for a couple of years ago. I think it all hinges on Makai Becton. There's still questions about him. I mean, he missed basically all of last year with that knee surgery. He was in lousy shape at the end of the year. I was told that he was up, to, you know, he was north of 400 pounds. Oh year. man! Yeah, which is uh, which is about uh, 40. Uh, yeah, about 40 above his uh, combine weight from a couple of years ago. So. He's working his way back into shape, and that injury, he's still rehabbing, so he's a big question mark. And they did improve with Lake and Tomlinson, I thought was a real nice pickup. He's going to be their left guard. Elijah Barrett-Tucker, their number one pick from last year, is going to be their right guard. McGovern's at center for now. I think they're okay with him, although you know Tyler Lindenbaum somehow slips to 35. I think the Jets would take him there. But the tackles are it was up for grabs. You know, If they draft a guy like Aquanu, Obviously, he's going to start at one of the two tackle spots, and then Beckton and George Fant battle it out for the other spots. You know, they'd have a great, you know, they have six starting caliber offensive linemen, which would give them great depth. And uh, there's always the possibility, albeit slim, that they trade Makai Beckton. I just don't think he has much trade value at this point. But I just want to mention that just <laughs> just on the off chance it happens. I, I, I really doubt it happens, though. Interesting. All right, so ta- so offensive line in the mix. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, you mentioned it, that from where Robert Sala is from in San Francisco, just looked at how they drafted, right? It was defensive lineman after defensive lineman after defensive lineman after defensive lineman. Though I think you can make the argument, Rich, that maybe corner is a bigger need given the roster. So how are they balancing out there, you know, what Sala wants and maybe what they might need at cornerback because there could be two guys – at those two spots with similar grades here at number four. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some mock drafts with Sauce Gardner going to the Jets at four. I'd be surprised if that happens, and here's why. I mean, they did sign D.J. Reed in free agency. It was not a small contract. It was three years, $33 million, so they made a fairly significant 
investment in DJ Reed, who comes in from Seattle. He had been with Seattle, uh, Sala in San Francisco. So he, it's, a, it's a good scheme fit. So he's their number one corner, and they really like the other guys, uh, the young guys like Bryce Hall and uh, Brandon Eccles, who were the two starters last year. They're going to battle it out for the second spot. So I don't think, like, internally within the building, they don't feel the cornerback need is as big as people outside the building think. And if you look at where Sala came from, San Francisco, he was also with Seattle, they tend to find their corners in the middle rounds. They'll draft guys who are system corners who can play zone. Yeah. You know, they, you know, Seattle found Richard Sherman in, what, the fifth round? So I don't think, even though we consider it a premium position, I think in their system they don't. So I would be surprised if they took Sauce Gardner at four, or, or Derek Stingley Jr. for that matter. Is Kyle Hamilton at all in the mix here at four? Uh, you know, I'd be really shocked at four. I mean, if he's still there at 10, I couldn't totally rule it out there. Uh, Joe Douglas is uh, from the uh, premium position school. If you go back through his drafts, very rarely does he uh, stray from that philosophy. Safety is not a premium position. The reason they traded Jamal Adams a couple of years ago was because he just didn't want to pay that kind of money for a safety. Sure. So uh, I, I think I would say... I. I would seriously doubt it at four, and I think maybe a small chance at ten. Although he is exactly what they need, to be quite honest. I mean, they, <laughs> they did sign they did sign Jordan Whitehead from uh, Tampa to be a strong safety, but they need that uh, middle safety, that center fielder type who can make plays on the ball. Uh, of course, Marcus May is gone; he went to San, uh, New Orleans, so they do need a guy like Hamilton who would be a perfect scheme fit. I it just might be a little pricey for them going going that high in the draft. So could, I don't want to get off a of four for too long, but is, a lot of people kind of just penciling in a wide receiver at 10. Is, is that a, a safe thing to do, given what the Jets need and kind of where that pick is landing in terms of value with the class, or do you think that's a little hasty? No, I think that's a fair that's a fair pick there. I mean, look, the Jets showed their hand a couple of weeks ago when, when we found out they were the runner-ups in the Tyreek yeah. Hill sweepstakes. We know how <laughs> they were willing to give up a couple of twos and a three, and pay an exorbitant contract to a 28-year-old wide receiver who's great, but is 28 years old. So uh, we know they're they're really looking for that wide receiver. One, he is not on the roster right now, and so absolutely, I think at 10, wide receiver is very much in play. If assuming they don't make a trade, I still think I'm not ready to totally rule out the possibility of a Debo Samuel or an AJ Brown. Uh, it's a long shot. It's like a Hail Mary at this point, but I'm just not ready to say that's quite dead yet. And But if they keep that 10th pick, I absolutely think like a Drake London or a Garrett Wilson would be. And, and I've heard Jamison Williams. You know, He's the name who I've been hearing a lot over the last week. Even though he's injured, the Jets might take a you know roll of the dice at 10. So based on this conversation, Rich, I imagine the three guys that are gone are probably the three guys you would have kind of penciled in for the Jets at four if one of them was still available. Uh, is that fair? And now that they're gone, who are you picking at number four? I absolutely think it's fair. I think, and I don't know, obviously I don't know what the draft Jets draft board is, but it would not totally shock me if, if it reads the way your first three picks just came off the board, you know, with Hutchinson, uh, Walker, and Iki Aquanu. So in, in the fourth spot, the Jets, I think, would take Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge rusher from Oregon, here in the fourth spot. Um, he's an interesting guy. I wrote a story on him this morning on ESPN.com. He's got a lot of upside. You know, he's 
he's been the best player at every level. He's he was like the number one recruit coming out of high school at Oregon. He was an instant star as a freshman. He's got good production. He's got good speed. He's got the stuff you're looking for. But, you know, there's some questions about his motor, a little hot and cold. He's a, a very interesting personality. He's brash. I've heard him called arrogant. Uh, he's got a lot of off-the-field interests. Uh, I think he made $400,000 last year on NILs in college, which is, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But he's very, uh, you know, he's very into his brand, and I think he turned off some people at the scouting combine with how much he talked about his brand. Uh, he'd, he'd be in- interesting in New York for sure. <laughs> I think he probably wants to go to New York. I think there is, you know, there's some hesitation there. You know, he's not a, a, a flexible guy. He's got straight line speed, but I don't know if he has the bend that you're looking for. Totally agree. But like, yeah, like we talked about earlier, you know, the Jets need an edge rusher, and I think he'd be the best guy on the board. So I, I would, you know, say fairly confidently that if this is the way it falls, I think Kayvon Thibodeau would be their pick. Rich, thank you so much for the time. It's great to talk to you. Let's talk soon. Enjoy the next week or so leading up to the draft. Uh, This is big time. Hopefully the Jets will start taking some steps forward just as as well as the Giants here in East Rutherford, man. Thanks so much for the time. You're welcome, John. Have a good one. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, we thank our buddy that covers the New York Jets, Rich Samini, for making the pick for the Jets at number four. And now we get to the first moment of decision for the New York football Giants. And to make that decision, we're joined by Dan Duggan, who covers the New York football Giants for The Athletic. Dan, good to talk to you, my friend. So the first four picks off the board are Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Ike Aquanu, and Kayvon Thibodeau. Your thoughts? I think that if I'm Joe Shane, I'm feeling pretty comfortable because I think the first goal for any GM in a draft is to get the best player possible. The second goal is probably not to do something that's going to get you fired. And uh, <laughs> I, th- I think having the way this board broke, I don't think there's really any uh, pick that could really come back and haunt you if they take the guy who I'm going to eventually announce. But I just think Thibodeau is a guy who could get dangerous because there's, there's some high upside, but also you know some, some question marks there that. And, and obviously Trayvon Walker has the, the traits, but the production wasn't there. So if you pass on either one of those guys and then they, you know, go on to become some defensive player of the year, you know, sack master type guy, people are going to remember that for the next 10, 15 years. Whereas if they're already off the board, hey, kind of some tough decisions got taken out of your hands. And, and I think a pretty easy one falls to the Giants with the way these top four, fi- top four picks went off the board. Yeah, so let's go around the merry-go-round before we make the pick here. What are your top needs for the Giants heading into this draft? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I think the first one, as we're alluding to here, is offensive tackle. Uh, I mean, they basically plugged some holes in free agency, even if it wasn't, you know, big money signings, obviously, where, you know, all right, they have some veteran guys that can play certain positions. Uh, they kind of left that right tackle spot wide open, uh, I think, by design, knowing that they would probably find a guy in the draft to fill that spot. Um, I think edge rusher is certainly a spot that, I mean, they have some guys there, but could certainly use, you know, that, that game breaker type edge rusher that this franchise has had, you know, so many times throughout uh, their history. And again, if things fall out differently, a guy like Walker or Thibodeau would definitely be enticing. Uh, and then the other one is cornerback. And obviously James Bradbury's uh, situation is unresolved at the time we're doing this. I think we all expect that to be resolved sooner than later. And that becomes a bigger need 
you know, once he's elsewhere. Uh, so I think those are the three biggest ones, the three premium positions. So I think you feel good uh, taking any of them uh, with this fifth pick. So really just it depends how those first four picks uh, unfold, I think, to, to really determine what the Giants do. I don't think they need to force anything. I think a good player at one of those positions will definitely be there at number five. Yeah, we, we are recording this, and all these picks are being recorded on the uh, Tuesday prior to the draft, so that's nine days before the draft. It's going to go up on Wednesday. But if anything happens after we record this, that's so you know why. <laughs> uh, how do you think the Bradbury thing is going to be resolved, Dan? Because we're kind of all in a bit of a holding pattern with that. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think we're in any jeopardy of, of that happening between now and the time you, you run this podcast. I, I think he's going to be here through the draft. Uh, I mean, I really thought around the combine something would happen quicker um, than obviously it has, and then there was sort of that time right around the start of the, the new league year where it felt like you know he had that $2 million in the salary guarantee. Would that be a kind of a soft deadline where, where Shane would maybe just cut him then just to, to get him off the books? But you know, he dug his heels, and he clearly wants to get something back for a guy who, as he said at the owners' meeting, it felt like he was kind of giving his spiel, like 20 years old, one year removed from being a, a Pro Bowl player. Um, so, I, but I just think the market hasn't been there because you're talking about a one-year rental at you know 13 and a half million dollars, and that's just not super appealing. So it's, it's you know I've kept calling it this whole process a game of chicken. Um, I, at some point, someone has to give, and I think teams are just waiting and waiting and waiting. So what I think most likely happens is the chain is certainly going to be working the phones hard during the draft to try to find something, whether it's a pick swap or just a late-round pick, whatever it may be. But ultimately, I'm leaning now. I always thought he'd get traded. I'm leaning now that they might just have to cut their losses. If, if they, obviously, if they can't move during the draft, I don't think a market is suddenly going to materialize. So let's say they add a cornerback in the first round or, or early in the draft, and then they can say, okay, we have our guy. You know, it's a good time to do it probably that Monday after the draft because everyone's focused on all the new people. You kind of just make that move and, and kind of wash your hands of Bradbury, get the cap savings, which obviously we know they're going to need to sign this draft class. So, I, it's, you know, it's probably it's been 50 50. I'd say I'm leaning more now towards he just ends up getting released. It just does not feel like any team uh, wants to pull the trigger and, and take on that salary. You know, Dan, I was with you. I thought the Giants would be able to find a trade partner too. I thought one year at $13 million is not a, a big dollar amount for a corner in this league that can play and be a solid starter but you're right I think their best chance is that you know a bunch of wide receivers go early you know in the draft here and a team that's picking at the end of the first round maybe gets to a situation where they thought they'd be able to get one late first early second none of those guys are there and then they need one and then maybe they can work out a trade shortly after the draft but yeah um, I'm surprised that they weren't able to find a taker, but as of now, they have not, and they will need to, to find money somewhere to, to, to sign this draft class at some point, which is important. How much do you think the Giants are going to take into consideration here, Dan? And, and we'll see what you do with five, and then maybe I'll ask this after you make your pick. But, you know, they also have two picks in the third round, a pick in the second. Do you think they're thinking down the road here where there's a lot of depth in this class, and that might impact what they do early, or is it just going to be, you know what, we just, we're picking five and seven we got to get the better player now. Yeah, no, it's a great question because obviously I think it's easy to say, oh, you got to get the better player now, but, you know, there's a, a sort of a, a fungible amount of resources here. If, if the class is the draft, you feel really great that there's eight great edge rushers, so you're pretty confident one to be there at 36. Maybe that makes you a little less likely to pass on one and say seven if you don't think the difference is that great. Uh, it's actually probably a question I'm going to ask Joe Shane when he, when he speaks on Wednesday because I do think that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I think at the end of the day, they're not doing this arbitrarily. They have a board. They have guys ordered. But you do have to start looking at the depth of positions, I think, and, and how big is the gap between your number one offensive tackle and your number four offensive tackle, or you know, vice versa with you know, edge rushers. 
Uh, I think that probably weighs in, especially maybe a little later in the draft, maybe more in the third and fourth rounds. I think in the first round, you have you, again, you have your board, you've spent all this time putting it together. I don't think you get too cute and pass on a guy who you had rated higher because you feel like you can get someone at his position in the second round. I think that gets a little dicey. I think, as Joe Shane has used this expression many times, he wants to be able to sleep well at night with what he does. I think that's something that could keep you up at night because then if things don't fall right in the second round, then you're like, oh, man, we never really filled that hole and we, and we had a chance to do it early. So I think the first round, just take, you know, take the best guy on your board. Uh, I think need is going to kind of match up with value there. But I do think it has to be at least a consideration in the back of your mind, especially as you get deeper into the draft. No, no, I agree. I think that's fair. How much do you think that Shane, maybe playing it safe is the wrong word here, but it's the regime's first draft class. You're trying to set the, you know, the most overused term in sports, set the culture, get the right type of foundational guys to build this program with. And, you know, the whole smart, tough, reliable, I think the reliable and uh, dependable rather, that dependable part of that is, is kind of the important part. How much do you mm-hmm. think he's trying to get not just the right type of player, but the right type of person, and also the guy that you feel good that this is not going to be a miss? At the very least, you're going to get a solid football player. Yeah, well, I think that goes back to that, that first answer where I was you know, only half-joking that uh, like, Thibodeau is the guy who I think could really make your draft look drastically different one or the other, depending on how he pans out. I think a lot of these other guys, you don't, you know, Aiden Hutchinson is like off the charts with his intangibles. You know, Trayvon Walker, you hear great things. The offensive tackles, I've, I've heard all really good things. Sauce Gardner, which is just going through all the guys there. You don't really have a lot of these, you know, red flags or whatever cliche you want to use. They're there for Thibodeau. How serious are they? I mean, obviously, I don't know. I'm not in those meetings. You hear stuff, but it's nothing like major and, and criminal or anything like that. It's just sort of his attitude, his commitment, that type of thing. And when, and when you're talking about establishing a culture, is that who you want to basically be the, the face of it? Because whoever you take at number five, that's going to be – um, you know, the biggest move that Joe Shane makes in this first offseason, really, because, I mean, obviously they didn't do much in free agency based on the cap. So, uh, yeah, I think that has to be a consideration. And like I said, that's why part of me, as much as you might think Thibodeau's a great player, you might say, okay, well, we kind of took that decision off our hands. And I think kind of any of these other guys, you don't have that same uh, sort of question lingering. So I think, it's, again, I think it makes it kind of easier uh, if he's gone because then you're just kind of, taking it based on football talent. You don't have to really weigh too much of that other stuff. Now, and how much are you weighing what the coaching staff wants here? Because do we really know what exactly type of player the coaching staff wants? How much is Joe Shane going to, you know, how much voice is the coaching staff going to be given in the draft room? We don't know how they're going to operate in that way. I think that's another interesting kind of dynamic here, Dan. And, you know, if Joe, Jane, Joe Shane thinks the guy's the best player, but the coach is telling him, well, I don't really think he fits what we want to do. I prefer this guy. You know, how are those conversations going to go, and how is that going to impact who the Giants take? I think that's a really interesting thing here and something that we really can't, you know, predict until we see how this first year goes. Yeah, yeah, and I think I go back to, you know, I think the, the – the buzzword right after Shane got hired was lockstep. They used that quite a bit. And, uh, and after Dable got hired, of kind of having the same vision, I think that does help that they have been in those meetings. They have worked together. Obviously, they, neither one of them was the number one in the number one seat, but they had you know big voices that were influential, worked together, know what the other guy likes. Obviously, it's a little different with, with Wink Martindale, but he's been around the block. I think you kind of know what his type of player is. Uh, I think it would be a much bigger question if you were pairing a GM and a head coach with no background. Right. I would think it would be – pretty smooth because these guys again have spent a lot of time together they should have a pretty good idea but yeah you're never going to know uh until they get in that room and then you also got to factor in that you know there are holdovers and, and you know people who are here who were doing evaluations long before joe shane was in the building so now how does how does he take their evaluations into account how does he take brandon brown's evaluations into account there's a lot of 
yeah. pieces that have to meld together uh, to you know make such a huge decision, and you only have a couple of months to figure it all out. So that is um, you know a fascinating subplot, and it's one of the challenges that when you have a new regime, you know, other places where you just kind of run it back with the same two guys in the, in the main seats, it, it's probably a lot smoother. Um, you, we don't know. It, it, so it'll be fascinating to see sort of how that plays out, and you'd obviously hope as they go forward. It just becomes more and more seamless. Final question before the pick here, Dan. How much are you entertaining a trade down here? Um, how far are you willing to go down? What's the mother load offer you would need? Do you think a team's going to look to trade up? Do you think the Giants are trying to trade down? Give me your full ring of a row on the potential of a trade down here for the <laughs> Giants at five. Yeah, no, I, mean, I definitely think that they'll be open to trading back. Um, I think that the ideal uh trade back scenario for me would be something where you're getting a 2023 first rounder. I mean, yep. I think, me too. um, you know, that's, that's where you're kind of hedging. Obviously, you know, Hey, let's hope Daniel Jones is as good as, you know, people think he is. And, and then, Hey, well, what's the worst case scenario? You got two first round picks next year, but you set yourself up in a situation where if you decide you have to move on, uh, you know, now you're going to have the capital to move up. You can get in the veteran market. Cause it's becoming like the NBA here where, you know, quarterbacks are, are on the move every off season. It feels like, um, so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, but just having two first-round picks next year to give yourself options. How far they go back? I mean, I think in a, in a dream scenario, you, you're talking like Atlanta or Seattle, eight and nine. I don't know if that's enough to get, uh, you know, a first-round pick next year, especially because the, you know no one seems that hot on this quarterback class. I mean, I think the Giants put a little bit of a tax on that Bears trade last year, where I don't think that matched up with any of the charts. But it was yep. like, hey, you want to go out and get a quarterback, you're gonna have to pay for it. I don't know that they find teams as desperate to do that. So I think that they'll certainly be active and interested in moving back. Ultimately, I have a hard time seeing them pull it off. I mean, maybe even seven becomes more likely uh, after they get whoever they want at five, and then a team's only moving up a few spots. At that point, maybe you're moving up for a tackle or, or an edge rusher, and maybe you don't get a 2023 first, but you get a second-round pick this year. You get a, you know, a couple mid-round picks this year, something like that, just to uh, kind of keep building the depth, but you move back a little bit in the first round, something like that. I could see, but I just think I have a hard time seeing uh, some team swing for a huge blockbuster that involves the fifth pick and a first rounder next year and obviously more pieces. So uh, I think probably most likely they end up sticking where they're at, but certainly they'll be entertaining you know, any and all offers you know, up until they, they enter that, that pick. All right, Dan, let's make the pick. Fifth overall, the New York Giants select. Yeah, so danced around it quite a bit. I think it was obvious. So Evan Neal from Alabama, I think that is uh, sort of a slam dunk at this point. It would be... An interesting decision if, you know, Icky Aquana was there, because then you get into, you know, which one of those guys you think is, is better. And uh, that's a whole other discussion. But I think, again, sort of made it easy for me here. The, you know, the, the edge rushers are gone. The, uh, the other tackle's gone. I know Charles Cross has gotten some buzz here. And I know the Giants, you know, from everything I've heard, they are genuinely interested. It just feels like Neil, if we're talking safe here again, um, is probably uh, a safer pick. I think Cross maybe has a higher ceiling, but. Uh, if you're looking to just kind of put one in the fairway here on your on your first pick, I don't think you can go wrong with a guy who's played right tackle, you know, which is a position he'll come into play. You know, played at Alabama, played in a lot of big games. Uh, you know, has the measurables, has all the traits. So, uh, to me, that that's kind of a slam dunk pick if that's how the first four unfolds. No, I'm with you, Dan. You mentioned the extra heat on Cross. I've heard it from three different draft analysts that I that I trust that they're hearing Cross, Cross, Cross. Now, does that mean they just like Cross? Does it mean they like him better than Neil and Aquano? Like you don't you don't know the context of that. Uh, how do you if you had your choice of all four, would Neil be the pick or would you prefer Aquano? How, how do you kind of stand these guys up next to each other? 
Yeah, like I, you know, like I said, I like that they took that decision out of my hands. I'm certainly not an offensive line expert, and it's really like a, you know, kind of a basket robin thing. Like, pick your flavor. You talk to different scouts, different coaches, and one will say Aquano, one will say Neil. Um, I was just talking to somebody the other day, and they had uh, cross ahead of Neil. I think it was Aquano cross and Neil. So I mean, it's re- it, it really reminds me a lot of that Andrew Thomas draft class where you kind of had you knew who the top guys were, but everyone sort of had a different preference. I think at the time people were a little surprised that Thomas was the first, but there were definitely people who thought he was the best. I think you're going to see that same thing unfold here, where um, I think everyone knows that the cross Aquano and Neil are going to go in the probably top ten. Um, the order it feels like Neil and Aquano are, are, are given um, a little bit of a nudge over Cross between Neil and Aquano. I mean, again, I, I don't think the Giants have to make that decision. I think at least one of them will be gone, and then we get to the Cross level. Maybe both of them are gone because I don't think it's crazy to think that, like, say, Houston and the Jets could take tackles. Um, and then, then you're in a situation where do you love Cross enough to take him at five? So uh, it's, it's so fascinating, it's, it's, especially with having the, the seventh pick, you know, coming back around. Um, it's going to be really interesting how they piece this together. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, I think Neil is a pretty safe pick. Um, so listen, if he's there at five, I wouldn't hesitate too much to, to turn that card in. But final question: How cute did you, you know you use this expression before? How cute did you think about getting knowing you have two tackles left and one's definitely going to be there at seven? Did you worry about what the Panthers were going to do at six? How much are you taking that in consideration here as you try to make that calculation to maximize the value of your picks at five and seven? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a unique situation to have two top ten picks and just separated by one. I mean, I think that the Giants have to be spending some of their time here trying to determine what the Panthers are going to do. And that doesn't even talk that the Panthers want to trade back. So, you know, it's like you can drive yourself crazy probably trying to figure out all the, the machinations of how that sixth pick could unfold. But I think that's where you just – I think you take the best guy at that point. You don't get too cute. Because I do think if the Panthers stay at six, and I know there's a lot of quarterback talk there, if they don't take a quarterback, they're probably going to be looking to take a tackle. So, yeah, yep. it's nice to say – <laughs> it's nice to say, oh, well, you just you know leave them both there and you get one and seven. Well, again, as, as I said earlier, they evaluate these guys. They don't just flip a coin. Like They like one of them more than the other, more, more, most likely. It's very unlikely that two guys are graded the exact same on their board. So the idea of, like, hey, one of them will be there. Like I, I don't think that's how they're going to operate. And I also think that, now I'm not going to make the seven picks for you, but I think Sauce Gardner would be a, a great fit and him still being available would be enticing. But I think you're probably better off, if you're going to play that kind of gamble, he's probably more likely to be there at seven because I think Panthers will take a tackle. So I'm going to get my tackle at five, and then hopefully a guy like Sauce Gardner's there at seven rather than saying, hey, you know, I'll just take Sauce now and take whatever tackle is left over. I think that, that would be the definition of being too cute, and I think that could be a recipe for uh, some, some sleepless nights to keep going back to Joe Shane's uh, kind of favorite draft expression. No, I agree with you. And then uh, Dan Schneier will be with us to pick uh, number seven um, at the end of this mock draft. Dan, great stuff, man. I appreciate it. Tell the folks where they can find all your stuff. Yeah, obviously at The Athletic, and then on Twitter, dduggan21. Certainly be, be filling it up uh, this next week leading into the draft, and then coming out of it, there'll be plenty of uh, analysis and coverage, so it should be a, a fun couple of weeks here. All right, Dan, we'll see you tomorrow. We got Joe Shane live in the auditorium. Old school, baby. We'll see you then, all right? <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thanks, Sean. We thank Dan Duggan from The Athletic for joining us to make the Giants pick at number five, Evan Neal. Let's do a very quick recap here to make sure everyone understands where we're at. Number one, Aiden Hutchinson to the Jaguars, Trayvon Walker to the Lions at number two, Iki Aquanu to the Houston Texans at three, Kayvon Thibodeau to the Jets at number four. Dan Duggan picks Evan Neal for the Giants at number five, and now joining us to make the selection for the Carolina Panthers at number six, he's Jonathan Alexander. He covers the Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us today, man. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. 
All right, what are the Panthers thinking here? I really think they're really one of the pivot points in this draft. I know they've done a ton of work on the quarterbacks, but does that necessarily mean that they're picking one at six? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, the Panthers um, probably share in that sentiment that uh, this draft class uh, is a wild card. Nobody's really sure how uh, good these quarterbacks will be, so taking one um, is a chance. Um, It's it's a gamble. And I think the Panthers really have a need. They know they have a need at offensive line, and they like like the top three offensive linemen in this draft class, and, and one's still on the board. All right, so how is this dynamic working then? You know, word from the outside looking in is that Matt Rule is kind of on the hot seat. First of all, is do you think that's legit or is that just outside noise? Yeah, I, I do think it is uh, legit. You know, I, you know they've lost two straight, um, they've had two straight five win seasons under Matt Rule, and you know another season like that won't he won't be, he wouldn't be able to keep his job. I think the thinking, uh, if you talk to people close to uh, David Tepper is that, you know, you're on the hot seat every year. And um, so this is definitely a must-win year uh, for Coach Matt yeah, and it seems to be a tough year to have a must-win year, right? When you don't, when you have Sam Darnold coming back at quarterback, they struck out on the big fish in in the quarterback market. You mentioned it. This this draft class is not great at quarterback. So, how do you think they're going to try to address this quarterback position so Matt Rule can try to save his job? Quite frankly, yeah, I think that they'll they'll do try to make the smartest decision. I don't, I don't think that they'll do anything desperate, but um, you know they do. They are seeking to upgrade at quarterback. And I think, uh, well, what I know is the two quarterbacks that appeal to them that are still possibly available are Jim Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield. So I think that they'll try to make a move for one of those quarterbacks when the price tags for both of those quarterbacks come down. Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's push quarterback aside. You mentioned offensive tackle. Any other positions of need you think the Panthers would be trying to target here? Yeah, the Panthers' top three uh, targets are offensive line, quarterback, and defensive end. So one of those three positions, they would most definitely target there. How do you think they measure the top of the defensive end class and the top of the offensive tackle class? Because both groups are really positions of strength in in, in this year's class. Yeah, I think they're they're on equal footing, really. Um, The top defensive ends along with the top offensive tackles. Um, You know, they think highly of both. So they wouldn't be afraid to take one of those positions if the best available player was there, especially if it was a defensive end. You know, they're not afraid to take a defensive end because they have a need there and they think highly of them. Now, one thing Giant fans would want to know as they try to navigate this the picks five and seven with only the Panthers in between, under any circumstances, do you think the Panthers pick a cornerback or do you think that's off the board for them? I think that's off the board for them. I think they like um, um, Sauce Gardner, um, and they think he's worthy of, of the top um, ten picks. However, you know, their cornerback is one of their deepest positions. Would the Panthers look to trade down in this situation, given the fact that I don't believe they pick again until round four? Yeah, definitely. They they, they want a day two pick. Um, but the problem with that is like, you have to have a team that is willing uh, to trade up. And uh, for the Panthers to take that uh, a trade, um, they would have to get a significant number of assets um, um, when this year's draft and next year's draft for them to do that. No, look, I'm with you, and I think the Giants would like to move down to Jonathan, and I don't think they're going to be able to find the partner. So I'm with you on that. All right, let, let's really quickly, uh, who, who's your pick then at number six? 
Uh, my pick is Mississippi State Charles Cross. The Panthers like him. Um, you know, you know. At first, they were a little. They weren't really sure at the combine, but they they've had him in uh, for a visit today, and they've seen the physicals, and they really like him. If all three of those tackles were available, how do you think the Panthers have them ranked one through three? Uh, I know that they love Evan Neal, and they really like Hakeem Ekwanu, and they really like Charles Cross. So that would be my order. Evan Neal, Hakeem Ekwanu, and Charles Cross are how they view that order. Very good. Jonathan, awesome stuff, man. We appreciate you joining us on this reporter mock draft. We'll talk to you down the road, all right, pal? All right, thanks for having me. Don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, we thank John Alexander for joining us again. He covers the Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. And now we head over to Dan Schneier. You can check out his work on the Big Blue Banter podcast. And make sure you go check that out. I was just on his show um, the other day. We had a lot of fun talking draft with uh, him and his co-host, Nick. So make sure you guys go check that out. Dan, good to talk to you, man. How are you? Welcome to the Giants Huddle Podcast, Beat Reporter Mock Draft. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Thanks for having me on, John. It's great to talk to you again. Anytime I get to talk draft with John Schmelk, I'm a happy man. Yes, we're going to have some fun here. We're going to talk some Giants, too. So... Just to recap very quickly, the first six picks of this draft, Aiden Hutchinson at one, Trevon Walker at two, no surprises, Iki Aquanu at three, that's still kind of a wild card, Kayvon Thibodeau at four, Giants uh, via Dan Duggan of the Athletics select Evan Neal at number five, Carolina Panthers say no to the quarterback, and they say yes to the final offensive tackle on the board in Charles Cross at six. Uh, Dan is the pick here at number seven. We had to go double Dan's here. Uh, and I think this is a, a pretty easy selection for you. We'll get to it. Let, let's talk around it first. What do you think of the first six picks here and how the draft has gone so far? You know, I take those first. As a Giants fan, I take those first six picks any day. Getting Evan Neal, my offensive tackle number one at five, is the ideal scenario. And as overall, those first six picks, nothing really jumps out of surprise to me. It's a little bit. It's it's, it's pretty much what you expect right now. If there's going to be a surprise, I think you would have seen maybe a team go for the upside of Derek Stingley in the top six, which I've heard could happen. Maybe a team go for the upside of Malik Wills, but it went according to plan. And now we obviously land to that second Giants first round pick. Is there anyone that you are happy to see off the board so you didn't have to make yeah. a decision on them? Yes, that would be Kayvon Thibodeau because there's two players who would have been in my kind of crosshairs for the seventh overall pick, and it makes it a little easier when one of them's off the board. Do you have any concerns about Thibodeau? Not, again, again, not a bad kid, but um, some of the off-the-field you know, personality stuff that we've heard about with him? So for me, no, and I talked about this a lot with Nick on the podcast. We don't have access to every single game. We both watch six games of Thibodeau, but we didn't see any effort issues in the games we watched. Now, we know people who had more access to the tape say otherwise, so it's hard to say. But as far as the off-field stuff, I kind of like that dog in him. I kind of like that personality and that drive to want to be the best and belief that you are the best. And I actually think it fits well with the Giants. And it's not like the Giants, people talk about it, but it's not like the Giants haven't had that in the past at the edge position. They had probably one of the biggest personalities ever at the edge position, the greatest edge of all time. Yeah, and by the way, uh, Michael Strahan had a bit of a personality there, too, yeah. by the way. Just just FYI for the people that don't know the man. Um, so, yeah, look, I'm with you. 
let's talk needs here. How would you rank the Giants' needs here coming in at five and seven this year for you in the draft? Yeah, for me, especially with this class, offensive tackle is by far and away the most important need. Just because if you go deeper into this class, there are options at edge that intrigue me at 36. There are options at corner that intrigue me at 36. There are options at safety. There aren't really many options that I think are going to be there at offensive tackle at 36 that intrigue me. So I feel like if you got if you have a chance to get one of these three tackles, you have to take it. I'm with you. Then what, what would you put second, corner or edge? Okay. For me, second is corner for a lot of reasons. One, the system. For Wink Martindale's system, you need to have guys who can be on an island in man coverage because the days of those two high looks and the zone-heavy scheme that we've seen from the Giants the past two seasons, they're over. We're going to see a lot of cover one. We're going to see a lot of middle-of-the-field close with one safety there. And so you need guys you can rely on on the outside. I also am a big believer in pass coverage over pass rushers at this stage of the NFL life because, look, most of these teams are designed right now on offense, get rid of the ball in 2.5 seconds or less, so you really need guys who can hold up in coverage. Does the volatility of the cornerback position give you any pause? That's probably the only thing that gives me pause right there. It's the volatility, and it's the, you know, it's the long, it's not necessarily the longevity factor as much as the injury factor there, um, and we've seen some busts there, but Overall, you need these guys. Just look at what happened with that Baltimore defense last year when they had their corners go down. It went from the most elite defense probably, or at least one of the two or three most elite defenses the two years before, to a defense that was giving up 500 yards to Joe Burrow. All right, so let's look ahead. You said you do like some of the pass rushers or corners. You might be able to get it at 30, uh, what is it, 35, I think, in round two, right? 36, pardon me. Uh, who are some of the, the pass rushers or cornerbacks you might like if they can get that far Add to the top around two. Yeah, so let's start at corner if they do go edge instead at the seventh pick. A guy who originally there was no chance he'd ever be there at 36 might be there now with injury concerns, Andrew Booth. I don't have the medicals on him, but Booth to me is the exact type of corner you want to fit the Wink Martindale system. I think Kyrie Lim is interesting because I think he does somewhat fit the system, but I have some concerns with him. And the next guy for me would be Kyler Gordon because he may not be getting the buzz that people – he might not be getting 36 overall buzz right now, but he does fit, in my mind, what Wink Martindale wants to do. Yes, he played a lot of zone at Washington, but if you look at just the snaps and you separate the ones where he was in man coverage, he had a really strong grade. And I think I believe, according to Pro Football Focus, over 90 was his grade in just man coverage. So, we're, again, if we're looking at corner in the second round or the third round for the Giants, we want these man coverage corners, these guys who fit – what Wink Martindale wants to do. And as far as the edge defenders go, i got a lot of guys I really like who could be there at 36. But I want to start with my favorite here. And my favorite here would be Arnold Ebichetti out of Penn State. You watch him play, and this guy is a man with his hair on fire. And the thing I like a lot about him is that he's, he, in my mind at least, he's proven he can take over games. First game of the season last year for Penn State versus Wisconsin. He takes over that game. and he, In my mind, he's the reason they won that game. It was a close game. I believe they won by a field goal at the end. So I really like Ebiketti. He'd be number one on my list. Boy Mappe out of Minnesota, 6'4", 261, has a lot of the traits you want and the production. I like him a lot. And then a player I think is interesting, John, at 36, that's starting to get a little bit more buzz, is Drake Jackson. You don't always see it on tape, so I understand why there's reservations with Drake Jackson. But if you think about what he can be right now, he's 21 years old, 6'3", 255, has kind of gone back and forth at 245, 265, 
But if you just look at his edge bend and his burst for a guy that size, you could see potentially where he can make that kind of jump that you got, that, you know, the Vikings got with uh, Danell Hunter a few years ago, where he kind of wasn't really all that on tape. He didn't always have the effort, quote-unquote, but the traits were there. So those are the guys I'm interested, I would say, at corner and edge at 36. Yeah, I tell you what, I rewatched Drake Jackson last night, and I sat there and I'm like, you know what? He's one of the few guys that have legitimate bend and dip wins on their tape. Right. There aren't many guys in this class that have that. He's one of them. You know, I wonder what weight he's going to play at. He's kind of been all over the place. He played at 270. Then he went down to 245. Then he was at 250. Then he was up at 260. So I don't know where he wants to play, how that's going to affect his play style. I do think he needs to play with some more play strength. But I think if, if you're looking for pass rush upside with his, you know, ankle flexibility and, you know, those sort of technical things when you're trying to, you know, bend at the top of that rush winning outside. I think him and, and, and a couple other guys in this class are the only couple that could do it. So I'm with you. I think he'd be a really fascinating pick there uh, for Wing Martindale. If you can isolate him on, on in some of his blitz packages one-on-one, especially if he puts on some weight, he can win with some power too. I think that could be a really interesting addition. Yeah, for sure. All right. Any other positions, and, and, and we'll jump back to seven, but I, I think we're in Captain Obvious territory here. Uh, you mentioned safety, and I agree. I think that is a bit of an underrated uh, need. Uh, you could talk about that in the later rounds. You could talk about tight end if you want. What other kind of positions are you thinking about in the later rounds of this draft where the Giants do need to fill some needs? Yeah, it's interesting because safety isn't viewed by fans right now as a major need, but go look at the Wake Martindale defense over the last few years and see how often he uses three safeties on the field. And right now, if I'm a Giants fan, I'm only really trusting one safety for sure on the field at all times that they have on the roster. That's obviously Xavier McKinney. So that's definitely a position that I'm interested in, but I actually feel like that's a position they can afford to potentially wait on at 36 because there are some later-round guys I like. Specifically, Kirby Joseph comes to mind out of Illinois. He's a player who played in that Lovey Smith defense for a while, which was not good for him. It wasn't a good fit for him. Finally, first year out of the Lovey Smith defense last year, gets to play some a lot more single high, gets to be that lone guy in the backfield. And I love his range. I love his ability to come downhill as well. So I think he could be really good. Nick Cross is somebody who people talk about as a, as a, as a kind of single high look safety as well. I like the measurables, and, I, and I'm okay betting on the traits there, but I didn't really see it when I watched Cross. So Joseph is probably the later, the mid to later round safety that comes to mind. He might be there for them in day, uh, in round three. And I think on day three, if we're going for the real late picks, that's where I really start to like a lot of the lesser needs for the Giants, as in wide receiver and running back. Two of my favorite sleepers in this class at any position are Tyquan Thornton at a Baylor, the wide receiver who's six foot two. 180, ran a 4-2-8 at the Combine, so you're thinking, oh, okay, I'm just going to watch a track guy when I watch him. Then you watch him, and he's plucking balls out of the air with his hands. He's strong at the contact point. You're like, this kind of might be a discount version of Christian Watson, who has stronger hands and is better at the catch point. So why is he not discussed as a potential, you know, day-two pick as Watson is, early day-two pick? So Tyquan Thornton at Baylor, and then Ty Chandler's my guy, my running back out of UNC. He's getting no buzz whatsoever. Ran a 4 despite running a 4-3-8, but when I watch his film, I see somebody who, one, can run between the tackles because he has really good vision and he makes really good cuts. Two, has the long speed. And then three, shows up as a receiver. He ran a seam route against Wake Forest where he high-pointed a football that Sam Howell put off target. And it looked like a receiver out there. I know he's 23, about to turn 24. That's the skepticism there. But if you're taking a running back, do you really have to worry about the age? You're, you're, I mean, 
how much of a long-term play is it if you're taking a running back on day three? You kind of can't afford to get away with just four good years out of that. So those are some of the guys I like there. And then tight end is a position that I would not take until day three, John. I like a lot of guys in the tight end position who I all think are going to come off the board on day three, starting with Charlie Kohler, ending with Jake Ferguson, two guys who I think are vastly underrated in this draft class. So those are the positions I'd target late. All right, let's jump back to number seven here, Dan, as we get the Giants' second pick. They picked Evan Neal at five. They're sitting there at seven. And, oh, wait a second. Do you want to make any phone calls? Are you trying to get out of this pick, or are you sticking to picking? That's a really interesting question, and those who listen to my podcast know I'm typically a trade-back guy. I like to trade back, but not in this class. Right now, I think that the way this draft sets up at five and seven for the Giants, it just fits too perfectly with matching need with talent, with the best player available, in my opinion, on the board, where they took it at Devin Neal at five, and now again, the best player available at a position of major need. So if the board falls as it did in this mock, John, I'm not going to trade this pick back. What would it take for you to move if this particular player you're looking for wasn't there? Where would you? How far down would you want to go? What are you aiming to get back? What are your goals there in a potential trade down? Yeah, that's a great question. Some people have floated the idea of the two Saints first-round picks. That's not my goal. My goal would be to get a 2023 first-round pick, preferably from a team that I project to be one of the losing teams in 2022, during the 2022 season. The, the idea of the goal would be to set yourself up for a potential quarterback trade-up in 2023 if Daniel Jones doesn't work out in year one with Brian Dable. That's kind of where I'm at. It would take that to get me to move. Definitely a 2023 first. All right, make your pick at number seven here, Dan. All right, at number seven overall, I'm taking my guy. I probably tipped it off, but it is Ahmad Garner, Ahmad Sauce Garner, that is the corner out of Cincy. Now, first, I will say this. An interesting thought, an interesting thought process here is that if you watch all the tape of Garner and you watch all the tape of Derek Stingley, the other corner in this class, it's fair to say Stingley's 2019 film was better than any season Garner had. But here's the key but. Joe Shane has said one of the things he's looking for in this draft class, especially up top, is dependability. And that's something Gardner gives you. He had 851 snaps as a press man coverage corner, according to PFS. No one's anywhere close to that. And they were good snaps as a press man coverage corner. He is just the perfect cookie-cutter fit for the Wink Martindale defense. 99th percentile arm length, 98th percentile height, 89th percentile hand size. Great film. He's tough at the point of contact, has the length, has everything you want about an island cornerback, and I just think you put him in Wink Martindale's defense and he's going to shine. Who was the guy that you would have had a real tough choice choosing between if Sauce was here and then you had to choose between him, choose between him and an edge? Who, who would have made that decision toughest for you? Thibodeau is the one who makes it toughest for me, without a doubt. Uh, assuming, obviously, Hutchinson doesn't make it that far, and I don't think anyone thinks he will. Uh, it, it would probably Thibodeau is the only one for me, to be completely honest. I'm not big on Walker at all. I'd actually take Jermaine Johnson over over Walker, to be honest. All right. Dan, good stuff. Tell the folks where they can find all your great content. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, John. Always fun to talk football with you. You can find my content over on the Big Blue Banter podcast. That's Big Blue Banter. And if you like fantasy sports, check me out on CBSSports.com where I cover fantasy sports. Yeah, I, I, I might get some emails from CBS with fantasy baseball <laughs> advice with your name on it. I think that might good. that happens. Uh, Dan, good stuff, my friend. We appreciate the time. Stay safe out there and enjoy the draft. Thank you, John. It's going to be great.
We thank Dan Schneier from Big Blue Banter for joining us to make the Giants pick at seven. We thank Dan Duggan for pick number five and the rest of our crew, Mike DiRocco, Jeff Risdom, John Harris, Rich Samini, and Jonathan Alexander. Everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Giants Huddle Podcast. I am John Schmelk. That's our beat reporter mock draft. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle.